0: If you grew up in Niagara or somewhere around there, what I was just humming was the theme to eyewitness news. So I grew up in St. Catharines, and uh, back before cable, I know I'm dating myself and, and of course, streaming. Uh, you could get probably about uh, via 10, I four or five channels. One of them were all the Buffalo uh, channels too. So commander Tom, uh, we had that. We had uh, commander Tom, I think was the weather guy. And then we had captain kangaroo and different things that came from Buffalo news. Uh, and I think much of which was spoofed and um, was the inspiration for films like Anchorman with uh, the traditional kind of anchor people and sports and weather, that kind of thing. This is not that kind of show. So if you're looking for a traditional uh, eyewitness news kind of show, you are in the wrong place. This is On the Way Home. And we talk all about issues, challenges, inspiration around in the area of housing, health, employment, wellness, um, anything that really touches on. Uh, relieving and preventing poverty, uh, homelessness, that type of thing. Uh, great research that's happening in the sector, et cetera. We also feature a lot of inspirational leaders of all ages. Today, we have one of those inspirational leaders that's out there. And, and what I love about um, our guests, and I'll, I'll get to them in just a minute, it's just that a lot of people will point fingers and complain and talk about the housing crisis or uh, income supports or all these different things that are happening. Uh, but this individual took action right at a very young age to, um, really not say uh, someone else, someone should do something. You've heard me say that before on here, she did something right? She uh, took an idea, made it happen, and uh, is creating impact. And it's very, very cool. So I have all the time in the world, uh, love to hear, and hopefully uh, she can inspire so many of us young people alike that have those ideas sitting in the back of their head saying, you know what, if we only did X or what if we did this and this happened, right? Just do it. Uh, Leap and the net will appear, I believe is uh, the the proverb, the quote. Uh, I'm not sure who said it, but it is a good one. Uh, and uh, this person definitely kind of lives by that uh, philosophy for sure. Let's talk about who br- who brings you this podcast. My name is Michael Braithwaite, the host of the show. I am from Blue Door, Blue Door's organization that has been around in York Region for just over 40 years, uh, helping our region's most vulnerable. So we're York Region is situated just above uh, Toronto, so it's the GTA. Uh, we have a population of over 1.1 million and there's nine municipalities. So some cities, and nine cities and towns that make up York region. It's a massive uh, geography. Some of the challenges are really transportation, hidden homelessness because it's not right in your face. It's not really that street homelessness that you see say in uh, centers like Toronto, um, where with not having enough affordable housing like many uh, areas in uh, Canada as well, uh, low incomes, Uh, And of course, uh, food poverty as well. All these different things happening across the region. It is a very wealthy region, but uh, in in the southern part of York region uh, and many parts of York region because they're all very different, uh, there's some deep poverty and people even more so now uh, experiencing homelessness and uh, health issues. So we are in a bit of a crisis. And the good folks at Blue Door, all 100 of them, uh, many of them frontline heroes step up to support our most vulnerable with our emergency shelters, with our transitional housing programs, with our supportive housing programs, with our uh, 2s LGBTQ plus inclusion program that we have, which is the transitional housing supportive housing program, uh, Bow Forward, which are for families and seniors supportive housing, uh, transitional housing, and the list goes on and on. Our construction social enterprise construct. Uh, Always thinking of new ways to uh, meet our strategic goals. We don't do this podcast alone. It is in partnership with the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Uh, They are always doing cool things, whether you need your uh, community, your team needs training. Uh, So technical training, check out their website at CAEH.ca. And they do a lot of really cool campaigns. Right now they're working on a housing benefit, a housing prevention benefit. Um, that they have done the research around they're suggesting that the federal government implements this we know I mean if, if maybe 80% or more of people that come into the emergency housing um, sector when, when they, they need housing 80% or so income base right if they just had the income supports they would not need to enter the emergency system. Uh, they just need some of the supports and much, much more detail than that and much more. Um, if you check out their website, again, look for this report, and they make it really easy for you to be part of the solution. Uh, basically, you sign up, you give them your email, and then they can send directly in your postal code, directly in your area, a letter to your MP saying you support this housing benefit. It's beautifully written. And as well to your local newspaper, too, saying you support this. And I've seen it all over social Uh they did a vote for housing campaign a while back uh, in the last federal election, and, and housing really climbed because of this campaign from, you know, 12th maybe on the list of priorities to Canadians to number four. Um, and, and I would guess right now would be in the top three for sure. And, and this is what the Canadian Alliance does. It really just shines a light on the challenges Canadians are facing who are unhoused, but also the solutions too. And this is the solution. So go on their webpage, support that. Very easy to be part of the solution. I've done that. Uh, I got an email back from my MP saying, thanks for your letter. You know, we we really appreciate it. We wanna create this groundswell uh, to make real change happen across Canada. That's partly why we do the podcast too, is is groundswell awareness, education. We know we are in a bit of a housing crisis right now. Maybe not a bit is not the right choice of words. We are in a housing crisis Uh, during the pandemic. Things got worse for our most vulnerable. And now with inflationary costs, food costs, skyrocketing up rents, uh, at record highs, interest rates way up there. Uh, the cost of transportation climbing just all around us costs climbing. It really has pushed, uh, so many more people, uh, into a state of vulnerability where they're experiencing, uh, being unhoused, uh, food insecurity, etc. And these times call for big thinkers for solutions for thinking a little differently. So today's guest, a few years back, maybe a couple of years back, uh, really saw what was happening and took action. And I want her to tell you all about that. Uh and I have the privilege actually of working with our guest. Uh, so our guest is Emma Wood. And uh, Emma works with me at Blue Door as a colleague, doing terrific work with us. We were so happy to welcome her to the team. Before that, and she continues to do this work, today we're having her on to talk about um, the program that, that she put in place called the Good Food Impact. And uh, I wanted to tell you all about how it came to be, uh, what its goals are, what its impact's been, what are the hopes for the future, all those good things, because this is something that can be duplicated. It's inspirational. Emma, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Michael. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Can you tell I was well caffeinated? I mean, uh, usually my <laughs> is about half that, but lots to say today. Uh, Emma, we ask all our guests the same question, the same lead question when they come on the show, because it's a little different for everyone. It's personal. And that is, what does home mean to you?
1: I think I'm at a bit of an advantage because I've listened to this podcast a few times, but um, to me, a home is community and it's you know, the place where you feel most like yourself, but also that makes you feel comfortable and just loved and it's going to be a bit cheesy, but I connect that with food because I think of getting together with people I love and I think of food and I think of home that way as well.
0: I think there's a huge connection uh, to food. Absolutely. Right. So many conversations and connections happen around food and cooking, etc. Uh, so let's talk about your journey. Uh, talk to us a little bit. You you are uh, much younger than I, um, and you've done a lot of schooling, but just get who is Emma Wood. Walk us along to where you are now.
1: Oh, big question. Um, yeah, I guess my food journey started back in my undergrad. I read a book called The Stop that's written by Nick Saul and I believe Andrea Curtis, and it really talked about how um, these two individuals took a food bank and turned it into something different. And it was the first time in my whole education career that I felt passionate about something and wanted to, you know, do more research and do more work about that topic. So that was kind of from there on in, everything was food focused. Um, I was trying to draw that connection from food security to international development, and um, it really all of a sudden landed me into this position where I was done my undergrad and I felt like I didn't know enough still. So then I pursued a postgraduate in food security studies at Ryerson, now TMU. And in my last semester there um, is when the Good Food Impact came to fruition, I guess, um, as part of an independent study uh, where we just wanted to create something for the community uh, that I'm grown up in my hometown. And I never thought we'd actually create this organization out of it, but now here we are today.
0: And like most good leaders, you are shedding a lot of the credit, but the credit does go to you. How did this idea even come up? You just saw something in your community and you said, here's a need. No one's meeting that need. I should do something. I should bring some people together.
1: Yeah. So it was uh, November, 2020, just very much still height of the pandemic. And my mom came back from a dog walk and she had let me know that she ran into two folks who were sleeping in the clock tower, just outside her house. And it was one of those ugly November mornings. And there's us in our house, warm, drinking our coffee, saying, where do you go for food support in town? And where do you go if you need shelter, if you need a meal? And that conversation essentially snowballed into conversations with community members, with um, local counselors, And just, I kept asking questions and eventually found myself at this crossroads of something needs to happen, but what is it gonna be? What will it look like? And that's when I pursued the independent study um, at Ryerson to really, take the time to do the research to see what would work, how it would work. Um, And then we were at this point where we had a plan, we had funding, we started to get a team of volunteers, but we were paused from March 2021 to July 2021, because we were still in lockdown. And we just, yeah, (laughs) finally came to be on July 2021 there.
0: Well, and this, and I like what you're saying there too, like this was not some fleeting thought on the top of your head and you rush right into it. You did the research, you did the work around it. Um, and you, you put this together now, what was the, what was the initial uh, reaction from the community? What was the response?
1: So initially when we put everything out, Facebook posts just saying we're looking for people to join our team, we're doing some food security initiative where we're preparing meals that will then become frozen meals and given out to anyone who needs them, it was quite positive. It's very much, you know, great, good for you, so happy to be involved um, or get involved. And then when we launched, I remember a lot of negative feedback coming through because our whole promotion and it still is to this day is that anyone can access a meal from us we don't have any restrictions we don't have any categories and we don't ask any questions and immediately we were met with some resistance of well how do you know no one's abusing this how do you know they actually need this meal and right away it's tapping into that opportunity to educate instead and talk about, okay, what actually is food insecurity now? And how has it shifted since the pandemic? And also, who are we to, one to judge who's hungry and who's not? Um, And I have to say that seems to so far, knock on wood, be the only resistance we've ever had.
0: Well, interesting, I'll tell you a quick story. So when my kids were younger, I remember, um, like, grade, like, maybe six and four, and uh, the principal, I was taking him to school and the principal said, hey, uh, Michael, you know, w- would the kids consider coming to breakfast club? And I was you know, horrified. I'm like, oh, no, I'd like to take breakfast away from someone who needs it. Um, no, they, and I said, they're okay. He said, no, no, you have to understand that if it's only the kids and need, you know, it becomes almost a stereotype. They're embarrassed because those are the kids that he said, if everyone comes, we have a good time. There's dignity there, right? Like, you know, who knows who who does it? And I said, "Oh, I never thought I'd explore a course course. And you know, I, you know, selfishly too, I was like, "Beautiful!" They, like, they get a much better breakfast than I'll ever make for them. They were pretty happy because it was wonderful food. But that whole point around dignity. So, with your process uh, and your uh, the, the good food impact, talk to me a little bit about how does it operate? What's how's it a little different, say, from a traditional? food bank experience and I think the word dignity is is found somewhere in there
1: yeah so when we first were kind of doing that research of what to do it came that we needed a meal program in Stouffville we had a food bank and we had another nonprofit at the time that gave food out but I kept going back to what if you don't have a place to call home what if you don't have the equipment to cook with what if you don't have the ability to cook um and also because cooking is exhausting among so many other barriers that come with it so we wanted to do something with meals but again we were in the pandemic and you couldn't gather like you used to and the more conversations i had with people running hot uh, community meal programs the more i realized we needed to do something different something that had increased access points and something that was frozen so to walk you through how our kitchen works um, our team of volunteers meets every monday We um, prepare roughly about 125 to 150 meals, always a meat option and a vegetarian option, and then a breakfast item. So either granola or breakfast cookies. And our team will bulk prepare these and then put them into individual serving size containers that are microwave safe, but also can be uh, frozen. We put a label with all the reheating instructions and ingredients, and then they leave from us and get shipped to um, various points in the community. And these points change week to week. Um, And once they're there, they immediately go in the freezer and then anyone can access them from there. So each distribution hub has different hours open during the week where anyone can come and access meals. Somebody can come and access meals on someone else's behalf. And that idea was rather than just on Monday nights at five o'clock, you could access a meal. You can now access it at any time during the week that's convenient to you. different locations are all across town too. So if you live on one end of town and you don't have access to any form of transportation, it's not like you have to get yourself all the way to the other end just for a meal. You hopefully are close to one of our um, distribution hubs in those different areas and you can you know, go and stock off on two, three, five, however many meals you need uh, just to get you through.
2: To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit ConstructGTA.ca. I'm Andrea Askowitz, And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better... Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com
1: and listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.
0: Which is important too. I mean, you're talking about the town of uh, Stowbill, right? Which is Stowbill area. And, and it's a big town, like geographically, it's, it's from end to end. So it's important to have that those access points for sure. Uh, so talk to me about the challenges. So you have this idea, you did the research, let's go. How did you get it funded? How did you get this thing off the ground? Were there challenges along the way?
1: I think many challenges, but the challenges were just kind of, you know, forks in the road and deciding which way to go. We were fortunate to get local funding, um, that allowed us to kind of get those first initial, um, you know, dollars underneath us to buy food because we were an unincorporated organization at the time and there's very little pockets of funding opportunities and then we actually did connect with blue door to go into a partnership to help getting more um, funding opportunities available to us so definitely funding at first was the hardest one and then once we got it it was volunteers and i say that because everyone's always so willing and wanting to help out Um, but it's finding those that unique group of people who are there for that commitment who want to continue to work with you who also see the value of, you know, this isn't just food, it's dignified food, it's food that makes you feel good. We're trying to connect with a wider community here Um, and it's people who were, you know, we were, we still are a startup organization. There's a lot of grunt work. There's a lot of, you know, admin tasks and other things to do that aren't that, you know, flashy, um, you know, do good volunteer role. It's the stuff behind the scenes and while that was a challenge at first, those first few months finding good people, we have the same volunteers we've started with. They have stayed with us. They have gone into leadership roles. They've connected within their networks. So now our group of 25 volunteers is like this little community in itself. And it's really, I love walking into our kitchen now because everyone's just like full of conversation. Um, When I go around town, I always run into everyone now. So every challenge we've seen and we seem to somehow overcome it even little things like um, recipes not turning out we try everything out at home first Uh, we'll freeze it at home make sure it works for us we'll give it to friends and family get their feedback so we don't have that challenge when we're actually in the kitchen because we're only in and out in four hours so we need to make it as smooth as possible and I think to our own benefit I, previous to starting the Good Food Impact, was working in a community kitchen, teaching cooking classes and running collective kitchens. So I was already testing out, you know, cooking in groups and making bulk food and um, testing out with containers so that I took that knowledge and just brought it straight to the Good Food Impact and with the lessons learned and from the conversations with other people already doing this work. I think we were just at that advantage of we had all this information behind us and we were just trying to say, okay, is this working? Is this working? And then found the path forward for us.
0: Very cool. And I remember when, uh, a former team member Jericho brought, uh, this forward and and he was so excited and said, and it was you, it was you and your leadership that sold it to him saying, this is something, uh, Michael, we need to get behind and support in any way we can. Um, because awesome work. So it was always really, uh, great to, to work uh, with you and do that work. So if someone's to come to you and say, say, I've got this idea to start up, uh, and I want to push it forward, what's some advice you'd give, uh, from your experience?
1: Yeah. So I think I was really fortunate to be given this advice when I started of just network with people, talk and talk to people currently doing the work in your community, talk with people doing the work elsewhere across Canada. Um, and just hear what's working and what's not working. And then see if it's already, your idea is already out there. Um, You know, we always wanna start something new and think we need to start something fresh, but there's so many good people and good organizations doing work out there already. Sometimes it's better to partner up rather than start something new. So my first would say network and do the research. Um, And my second would be, understand what you are gonna get yourself into. And I say this quite honestly, because when I started the Good Food Impact, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I didn't realize that now we would be an incorporated nonprofit. And, you know, my house would have boxes of food in it and containers all the time. And it really is like starting a side hustle. Um, you know, still to this day, we're always there's work to be done. There's things to be put in order. It's a commitment. It's not just a one-off and you do. and I think understanding that before you go into it would help you become more prepared for everything you're about to experience. And then my last one is make sure you're passionate about it. Um, I think if you're passionate towards a cause, you're gonna be able to put your energy into it. Um, If you don't like what you do, it's gonna be really exhausting having those late night and early mornings and juggling a bunch of things. So as long as you have that passion there, you're gonna be set to go.
0: Wise, wise words. Uh, you're absolutely right. You're a young entrepreneur in a sense, right? And you're you're driving this. You're it's 24 seven. Now, so people understand too. You're still doing this with a full time job, right? On, on top of this, you've got two full time jobs. But in talking with you in the past, I know you are uh, no slouch when it comes to work ethic. Uh, whether you are you know d- you know going to school and doing this work, or um, you're not wanting to sit back uh, and, and and take it easy. I, it, you know, it's absolutely uh, a lot of work and so, so glad uh, that you're doing it. Uh, now, earlier when we were talking about this podcast, I called this, so oh, it's the good food program. He said, oh, you know, you very kindly, as you always do, you know, say, well, you know, actually it's the good food impact because impact is very important. Let's talk about that impact. What impact have you seen or heard about?
1: Yeah. So I think you know we're still a very relatively new organization we launched July 2021 and we were delivering to two distribution hubs in the community for a year and then within the past three to four months we've actually expanded to six distribution hubs five which is new Um, so we've really grown and that impact has changed with that and you know because we don't collect too much information from those who are accessing our meals we don't and we're not client-facing We don't get to hear firsthand the impact all the time, Um, but our distribution hubs are so great and they'll send me emails of just sharing the impact and it's, you know, it's stories of single moms who something happened, whether, you know, brakes had to get redone on the car and they just needed to access a few meals just to get them by that month or it's isolated seniors who are living alone and can't really cook for themselves anymore but don't want to move to that next step of you know moving into a home or assisted living so they're accessing meals because that allows them to be a bit more independent Um, it's stories you know of people who might not have a place to come call home and they're relying on the meals to just have that warm meal that they can reheat so When I think about the impact piece, I think about how hangry I get when I don't have a meal in me or I don't have food that I like. And I just hope that with what we do, we're making an impact on people's days, that they're fueled both physically, but mentally, and that they feel that they're worthy. And that's where, um, you know, I'm biased, but our meals are beautiful. They taste really good. And anyone on our kitchen team will tell you that I make sure when we're in the kitchen, they have to look a certain way. They have to look that, you know, you almost like bought them somewhere gourmet because I want somebody to take the meal on that, that end and say, you know what, I deserve this. I'm going to feel great after this. And hopefully that day becomes 10 times better for them than what it might've been. So the impact there is just really that connection that how, Good food just makes us so much better. It connects us to so much more and it makes us feel good.
0: And, and yeah, you know, let's get this straight. This is not the good enough food impact. It's a good food. I love what you were saying. So, so little story a few years back, I was on this, uh, governor general's leadership conference thing. And you go around Canada and we were in PI and, uh, the group of us are from all walks of life union, uh. Uh, postal workers, union workers, business leaders—I was one of the few uh, nonprofit uh, people. But we went into something called a soup kitchen, and, and and you know they're doing great. They're, they're feeding people, which I never want to take away from. But the the people on the tour were saying, "Isn't this great? Isn't this great?" And and it, I it, it said, "No, not really." I said, "I love the food part, but the way um, the way it's served, even calling it a soup kitchen." negative cut like the 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 stigma that comes with it i think the dignity part was missing and to me that 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 bothered me because i thought you know going up and almost having to beg for food you know for people probably a number of people won't do it if you don't make it easier if they don't um and, and the people that do, how do they feel about that? How do they, and just the things you, you hear about programs like yours, the, the meals are beautiful when you put it on your table, like it's important. That dignity is important to you. And that's, that's so cool. And so, and it, it's not good enough food. Hey, let's just get something to people you actually are, are caring about. This is nutritional food. This is tasty food. This is presented well. All those things matter. And I hear um, of programs where they, they do set it up almost like a restaurant where you have the choice and you can't tell who's what. And, and I love that. Uh, we have colleagues, you and I, uh, Emily and Rudy, who came up with something called Market Blue, uh last year. And that really is the idea of a grocery store where instead of uh, people would have a special, like it looks like a debit card where they'd come in and be able to buy whatever they feel like they're going to buy. Um, and everyone else could come in and shop too. So you wouldn't know who's being supported, who isn't. Uh, and the people that buy and pay full price are helping to support those who might need some help, right? It's that dignified and choice. I hear all those words and what you're doing, it, it is much different than a food bank. You're right. What if I don't have a place, what if I don't know how to cook, or I don't have the resources to cook food and do that? You're making it easy uh, and you're you're changing lives. The, the latest um, Who's Hungry report from Daily Bread, right? People after paying for housing, people using the food bank had $8 left over to pay for food. Indigenous black communities had six. So these are, and year over year, it's like a 200% increase in people needing food because of costs going up. So I only anticipate that the need uh, for the good food impact is is going to grow, unfortunately. And I say that because you talked to Neil, uh, who's been on the podcast a number of times from Daily Bread. He'll be like, put me out of business, man. Like, you know, the answer is not more food banks. It really is. If people had affordable housing, if people had proper income supports, there'd be no need. They could afford food and good food. Um, They might need some support on the cooking end. Many of us do, but but, but not. And So I ask you this long-winded way of saying, what are your hopes for the future of this program?
1: Well, just as you said, like food is not going to solve food insecurity, and that's been something from the very beginning we've been open with, Um, you know, while it's not going to solve it, might as well eat well before we figure it out. Um, So since incorporating the organization and changing the name to Good Food Impact back in April, 2020. We've also grown our program. So uh, we have our kitchen program, which remains the heart of the organization and what fuels the meals, but we launched our Good Food Student Program. And the idea behind this is, I never learned about food insecurity in school, Um, I'm talking elementary school, high school, but we would have food drives. And we would talk about that there's people who's hungry in our community, but we never actually talked about why or how and just the different characteristics behind that and the impacting facts. So we launched this program with the idea that to go into classrooms and to host workshops to talk about. So what is actually food insecurity and why is it caused and how does it impact us? And having those connection or conversations with uh, students about what does food make me feel? How is food connected to my life, and um, really just kind of opening their eyes to this world of food insecurity in a holistic way. And I say this because we talk about, with our younger grades, we'll go and, you know, we'll talk about what different snacks look like, and with idea of uh, nutrition by addition is what we call it. So just showcasing that food uh, looks different on all our own plates. And that's because I think, you know, more and more of the younger generations, um, not from my time, unfortunately, but it's more multicultural classrooms and just showcasing the different ways that food can look like. And then with our older grades, we do more budgeting. So we talk about, uh, we do a workshop with our grade nine, 10 students, where we actually give them a list of, you know, typical items you might get from a food bank hamper. And then we give them $15 and we ask them to make a meal plan for a few days. and they do, and it's fun. But the kicker is they've only actually had $5. So at the end, we go through and we say, what sacrifices do you have to make? And you see them process that of, wait, I can't buy this, why not? And I think that's just recognizing that with the cost of food and what with what's available, it's not always there. And then our older grades take it to a whole new level, grade 11 and 12, where they actually go through different life scenarios. But anyways, the idea behind this program is let's fuel the next generation to know what food insecurity is and be interested in it Be, in, you know, want to do something about it because they're going to be the change makers who are going to solve food insecurity. They're going to be the ones that say, wait, this what we're doing right now is not working. You know, giving more food to food banks is not working. What are the policies that need to be addressed instead? So. While we're still doing the food on our end, I'm really hoping that through our student program, we can just get more and more youth engaged and wanting to do something to make an impact.
0: Uh, I love that. I love that. That's so cool. The education awareness part, and you mentioned the P word policy often on the podcast. We say, uh, many of these issues started with bad policy. The only thing that's going to change them is better policy. Um, and, and we need to make those changes happen, right? I mean, yeah. this is not the long-term answer. This is a patch for now, but a great patch and a great impact. If people wanted to get involved, if people wanted to volunteer, you happen to live uh, in Toronto, York, Region, Stoweville area, you wanted to get involved, uh, or they wanted to donate, uh, where do they go?
1: So you can visit our website, goodfoodimpact.org, or we're on Instagram and uh, Facebook at The Good Food Impact.
0: Awesome. Inspirational, uh, fantastic, impactful work. Thank you so much, Emma. Glad to have you on the team at Blue Door Uh, and it gives me, I'm an old guy, so it gives me a lot of hope uh, for the future with leaders and innovators like yourself uh, doing great things. Thank you so much for joining the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Take care.
0: Man you know, often you'll hear me talk about good enough is not good enough. We don't need a better sleeping bag or a better tent. We don't need heated benches, that type of thing. We don't need uh, a better can of food, you know, and this is a, a great example of someone who said, I don't want to do something that's just good enough. I don't want to just do bare. And they thought, how do I make Good food. How do I get it to people? How do we 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 keep the dignity intact? I uh, make it accessible and all these brilliant things. She did the research. She took it upon herself. She did it. She's being very very modest too. And that when she says we yes, she's got a lot of volunteers, but Emma is driving this on top of doing a full time job. Uh, so for all of us complainers saying we don't have time, you know, if you're really passionate about it, you find the time like she did, having huge impact uh, in her community in our our region. Um, and that's how you make change happen it takes work it takes community it takes passion um, and it takes thought and research um, and time and and emma has done all that very very cool Uh, and listen if you're thinking about doing something similar in your community reach out to uh, emma at uh, the good food impact and i'm sure she'd be happy to share the secrets of success, as she said, doesn't have to be a brand new idea. You can borrow it from other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure she took pieces of ideas from other places and implemented it in creating the Good Food Impact. Well, thank you so much for joining, for listening. I hope you learned something. I certainly did. And I'll see you next time on the way home.
2: Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host Roland Tanner and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts, or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe.